And uh, traveling is something that I usually look forward to doing. Uh, time away, certainly for many of us, holds out the, the promise of rest, right? Getting away from the, the grind and our usual routines. Uh, this summer, I got to take three trips. Uh, first, I got to take a wonderful trip with my wife, Ashley, into Northern California. It was a very peaceful time, a restful time. We had two days away. And then I came back with poison oak all over my body. Uh, two days of rest followed by uh, weeks of discomfort. Then I went away to Chicago for three weeks of preacher's boot camp. Uh, thank you for praying for Matthew and I as we, we went away. I, I thought this, I, I knew this would be a restful time away, but I thought it would be refreshing, you know, just to focus on one thing, pro- focus on preaching. And it was until I got COVID and uh, was quarantined in a Chicago basement watching my classmates on Zoom. Thank you again for, for praying for me. I, I am healthy once again. And finally, our, our last trip this summer uh, was an extended family trip with my side of the family and going to one of my favorite places in the entire world, Sisters, Oregon. Uh, it is so nice, since we live here kind of in this busy neighborhood, kind of in the city, to get out into the mountains to just be in God's creation. However, our family, my extended family, has doubled in size since we started going to Sisters over 12 years ago. And so that spacious ranch house, that once spacious ranch house, is now starting to feel a little cramped. So maybe it wasn't quite as restful as I like to remember. It it is helpful to get away from time to time, Uh, But this summer, the Lord certainly disabused me from finding rest in getting away. For even when we get away, we come with us, right? The the stress and the chaos uh, accompanies us wherever we go. What about you? Where do you look for rest? Where do you hope that you will find calm and quiet for your anxious soul? Is it in a relationship? Maybe it's in your job or your career. Maybe it's simply just in good food, good drink. Maybe you look for rest and healing from chronic pain or illness. Or maybe you're more like me. A trip or vacation should be able to provide that elusive rest that we're all looking for. Well, this Summer, we're on a trip. We're on a journey through the Psalms of Ascent. And we, along with ancient Israel, look up to Jerusalem, the land of eternal rest. And as we're trudging along on our journey, our leader and the pioneer of our faith calls us to place our hope, not in getting away and not even finally in our destination, but he calls us to place our hope in him. And in him alone, he alone can bring the rest that our weary souls need. So we're going to continue our our summer journey together as we turn to Psalm 131, even though it feels like fall. Uh, Turn there with me in your Bible or maybe look it up on your phones uh, so that you can follow along in this brief psalm. Let me read Psalm 131 for us. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, 
I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Now, one preacher said of the psalm that it is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. In this psalm, we see uh, the psalmist reaching from deep humility in verse 1 to a fixed confidence in verse 3. So this morning, I want you to consider how you might calm your heart in humble hope. It's the main idea. Calm your heart in humble hope. What will it look like to calm our hearts in humble hope? This is going to be a brief sermon on a brief text, and I have three points. Humble heart, calm hope. I'm sorry, humble heart, calm soul, forever hope. Humble heart, calm soul, forever hope. Let's first consider the humble heart of verse 1. Look at verse 1 again of Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Seems like David's maybe boasting about his humility here. Which is self-defeating, setting yourself up as an example of humility doesn't usually work. What's going on here? Once again, look at Psalm 131.1. David's talking to the Lord, not to us, not even finally to Israel. And we get a window into David's heart here in this psalm. We see a conversation between him and the Lord. In 1 Samuel 13... The prophet Samuel tells King Saul that the Lord is looking for a man after his own heart, and he's found it in King David. And, and when we see the life of David, we see a man who is humble before the Lord, uh, particularly in, in two ways, in his waiting on the Lord and in his repentance, in his waiting on the Lord and his repentance. Unlike Saul, David's heart is not proud. Again, David is anointed king as a boy, He humbly waits, though, to receive that kingship. He doesn't take matters into his own hands, even though he has opportunities. Others encourage him to, like, this is the Lord providing for you to be king. Strike down your enemy, Saul. But no, he doesn't get involved with things too wondrous or great for him. He entrusts himself to the Lord throughout his life. Then when we come to the next line in Psalm 131.1, we see David say his eyes are not haughty, which means, like, He's, he's not looking arrogantly around in pride. Uh, immediately, though, we think of David and his haughty, lustful eyes that lead him to take Uriah's wife and then have Uriah killed. It's like, how can you say this? How can you say, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, when you did something like that? And we could point to several other examples where David was proud, where he was haughty. How can he make these claims like he does in verse 1? David can truly pray, verse 1, because, unlike the way we often think, David isn't going to the Lord with a spiritual report card. Look, Lord, how great I've been. Look at, look at all my grades, Lord. I've done a, you know, my, my good deeds have outweighed my bad deeds. Aren't you impressed? No. That doesn't demonstrate his humble heart. He trusts that though he is a sinner, the Lord has cleansed and renewed his heart. Just like he prays in Psalm 51. He prays that the Lord would cleanse and renew 
his heart in a steadfast spirit. And every time in the life of David that we, that we see David sin, sometimes in heinous and very public ways, David is broken over his sin. And we see the humility of repentance in David. We see the humility of repentance. David understood that the way of humility is recognizing your pride and then turning from it. Recognizing your pride and turning from it. Which brings us to us. Are you humble? Are you humble? Don't tell me after the service how humble you are. (laughs) Talk to the Lord about your heart. Talk to the Lord about your heart. If you're anything like me, sometimes you're more concerned about appearing humble than actually being humble. Uh, So we don't want to be that guy. But talk to the Lord about your heart. Does your heart wait on the Lord when things are hard? Consider the, the decades that David was on the run from King Saul because he was waiting on the Lord. Does your heart wait on the Lord? Is your life characterized by repentance when the Lord reveals to you pride in your heart? Do you seek to turn from that? Do you mourn that pride in your heart like David? Cultivating a humble heart before the Lord is not easy. You know, just just think of the last argument that you had with your spouse or disagreement that you had with a friend. Don't we all too often rise to defend what we value most, what we think is most important, which is ourselves, our own point of view or opinion? I think when, particularly when we're in conflict, when the heat rises, uh, when we're in a disagreement, uh, we get involved with things too great or too wondrous for us in the way that we judge other people's motives and hearts. But who do we think we are? We are not sovereign. We don't know what, that, what our spouse's motives or heart was. Not to mention, because of our pride, how difficult is it for us to truly say, I'm sorry. I sinned against you. I was not considerate, uh, in, either in my speech or my actions. I was selfish. I was cruel. Without then saying in the same breath, it's just when you... It was because I was... And then we launch into how someone else has wronged us or our justification for our sin. We're defending ourselves. Who will save us from this pride in our hearts? We have difficulty praying Psalm 131.1. Who will save us from this pride in our hearts? We must begin at the foot of the cross. The road to humility begins at Calvary. Listen to what John Stott, author of Cross of Christ, which Mark recommended earlier, says about how the cross humbles us. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote. But listen to what Stott says about how the cross humbles us. Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. 
It's your sin I am bearing. Your curse I am suffering. Your debt I am paying. Your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there, at the foot of the cross, that we shrink to our true size. It's at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. And it's only when we've been brought to our true size by the cross that we can begin to know rest, calm and quiet for our weary souls. And that brings us to point two, our second verse, calm soul. Point two, calm soul. David says instead, instead of considering things too high or great and wondrous for him, he is calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. He repeats it. My soul is like a weaned child. I think this is the center of the three-verse three psalm. Uh, just yesterday, I was, as I was working on the sermon and I had the windows open, I heard the cry of a little, little baby, an infant, in the park, and it brought me back. It brought me back to when our firstborn, Sam, was born a little over 11 years ago. Uh, we brought Sam home from the hospital. We didn't really want to, though, because Sam wasn't nursing. And for almost, I think it was close to 24 hours, he wouldn't nurse. He wouldn't eat. His cries became more desperate and shrill. Soon, Ashley and I's tears were joining his tears. Uh, we didn't know what to do. We're new parents. It's like, what's going on? This kid won't eat. Uh, thankfully, a sweet mom from our church came and helped us, encouraged us. We didn't need to go to the hospital. Sam finally ate. Uh, but getting poor Sam to nurse, even getting him to sleep each night when he was in those, those nursing days, uh, it was filled with much anxiety for Ashley and I. Uh, not to mention poor Sam. Crying all the time, it seemed. But then Sam started to grow. He started to mature. It was like he began to understand as he was developing that when I'm with mom and dad, particularly with mom, uh, he's not going to starve. He's going to be okay. He's secure in our care. Uh, particularly, I just, I just remember when Sam went from milk to eating you know, big kid food. And uh, I remember when he started eating bananas by himself. And he would just use the back of his hand like a steady conveyor belt to just shove the banana into his mouth slowly with the banana mush coming off the sides. It was not only entertaining to watch, uh, but this graduation from milk to solid food signaled a new era, I think, for Sam of calm and security. He can feed himself now. He's not, he's not nagging Ashley for food, for milk. You know, as, as I mentioned this morning in my introduction, we recently had 10 children running around uh, our, our ranch house while we were on vacation and then our home. Never a dull moment there. Uh, and, and what would the kids do when inevitably they would um, get their feelings hurt, stub their toe, get a toy taken away from them? They would say, where's my mom? You know, where's my mom? They would, they would come to me. And uh, I would say, Where, where's your mom? Even if it was my own kids. <laughs> a child is at rest with his mom. Isn't that what we see here in verse 2? Literally in our psalm, it's a weaned child on its mother. 
And, and this, this is how the psalmist says that he has calmed and quieted himself, his soul, like this. Instead of the pride of considering things too great and wondrous, trying to work out his own schemes, seeking to be in control, he's calmed and quieted his soul like a weaned child with its mother. A weaned child with its mother doesn't need to be in control. It's not scheming, always planning. Uh, they, and again, they're no longer using their, their mother for her milk, but they're simply comforted in their mother's presence. Financial difficulties, pandemics, politics, world events do not concern a little a child with its mother. It doesn't cause the child to lose sleep. No, a child is simply assured uh, to be with the one who cares for her, who feeds her, changes her, and lays her down to sleep in peace. It's a beautiful picture, peaceful, serene, in the presence of mom. You know, I think sometimes, though, we, we think of Christianity, we think of what it means to be Christian based on what we do or don't do or some decision that we made. But what we see here in Psalm 131, too, is the posture of a true believer. A true believer is helpless on, it, on its own, completely dependent upon the presence and the work of the Lord like a toddler with its mother. You know, non-Christians... And and functionally, so often, uh, we look to ourselves, our resources, our own judgment, saying, I've got this. You know, I just need to pray more. I just need to exercise more, get better sleep, Uh, you know, let go of that stress at work, do more of what I enjoy doing, you know, build up that financial nest egg. You know, of course, so many of these things can be all well and good. But that is not finally the way to quiet and calm soul. That's not the way to a calm and quiet soul. Now, I don't want to push this this metaphor too far. Um, Wean children still have needs, right? Uh, Children still, just ask the parent of of any toddler, and you can can basically see it in their face. Uh, It's exhausting. But unlike our human parents, the Lord doesn't tire of meeting our needs. He enjoys uh, meeting us where we're at. He's with us through every sleepless night, through every anxious thought, through every panic attack. He is there with us, caring for us. He understands our worry. He feels our pain. And he calls us to come and find rest in him. I will say that sometimes our souls cannot find the rest the quiet and calm that we need because our bodies and our minds need help. You know, so if you are someone who experiences chronic anxiety or panic attacks, you should humble yourself, if you haven't already, to talk to your doctor, to talk to a therapist or a counselor, to not close off the option of even taking medication and consultation with your doctor. That's something that we as pastors regularly say to those that we meet with for counseling. If, if the anxiety uh, is debilitating. So we'd be happy to talk to you about that more. 
But no matter the experience of anxiety or how we manage it, we finally and ultimately rest in the Lord and his provision, his many provisions, his many means of knowing his presence and his peace. Like a to- again, like a toddler resting in its mother's arms. That's the posture of a Christian with the Lord. So next time you see a child maybe resting peacefully in her mother's arms, think, that's me. That's me with the Lord. At peace, spiritually. Nothing can harm us spiritually when we are in the Lord. That should bring us comfort. It should calm and quiet our weary and anxious souls. So what are some ways you need to calm your soul this week? What are some ways you need to calm your soul this week? In particular, what are some worries that disturb your soul that you would do well to take to the Lord? to continue to take to the Lord, to invite others to join you in taking that worry to the Lord. As I mentioned, for me personally in the devotional this, this week, uh, for me, taking my, my desire to control and manage um, to the Lord means uh, being less of a Martha and more of a Mary, you know, from the Luke 10 par- uh, story. I regularly go back to that story because I'm all too much like Martha, busy with many things, busy with my to-do list, trying to get things done, but neglecting the one thing that is necessary, sitting at Christ's feet, resting in him, uh, enjoying his presence in prayer and scripture meditation. You know, I, of course, I believe, I know that I'm saved not by what I do, but what he has done, uh, but I need his help each day to live like that. To live like I believe that, to find rest for my soul that seeks to control in him. You know, personally, it just takes a lot of self-control. It takes a lot of help from the Lord for me to begin each day in prayer and hearing from God's word instead of running to my to-do list and starting to cross things off. Because I should, I should know by now that rest doesn't come from crossing things off my to-do list. Uh, Even a completed to-do list will not bring any lasting rest. Well, resting in the Lord is how we actively hope, not in ourselves and in our abilities, but a demonstration of how we place our hope in the Lord. And that's what we want to consider third and finally, more briefly, our forever hope. Our forever hope in verse 3. Israel even Hinson, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. This is the conclusion of David's brief prayer here, Psalm 131. So like using the lyrics of well-known hymns, let's review where we've been. In verse 1, we poured contempt on all our pride. Verse 2, we stilled our souls by leaving to our God to order and provide. And here in verse 3, we have the chorus. The church joins in. In Christ alone, my hope is found, just as we sang this morning. It's interesting, if you look back at Psalm 130, Psalm 130, verse 7, you have verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. But 
it's different here in Psalm 131. I think in Psalm 130, we consider why our confidence or our hope is best placed in the Lord. Psalm 130 was the why. Because if you remember from last week, for there's faithful love with the Lord, redemption and abundance, and the Lord will redeem his people from all her iniquities. It's because who the Lord is and what he's done is why we put our hope in the Lord. But I think in Psalm 131, our psalm for tonight, I think we have the how. How do we do this? We know we should. We see who he is. We see what he's done. But how do we do this? Verse 1, again, by humbling ourselves before the Lord. Verse place our hope, soul, by resting upon the Lord. This is what it looks like to place our hope in the Lord both now and forever. You're like, really, though, that's what you got for us? Like a two-step process to put your hope in the Lord? We can't do that. Our, our hope each day like naturally defaults, resets back to ourselves. We seek to control. We look to our abilities, our performance, our gifts, our comparison to others. We need help. We need someone to pray this prayer for us. We need someone to pick up the song. We need a lead singer who's better than David. David's dead. And he, wasn't, he didn't do this perfectly, as we consider. But praise God that a descendant of David came. A descendant of King David would take up this song, uh, not in triumph, not, or not in judgment, but in humility. And this is what David's greater son would say about his heart. He, he says, I am lowly and humble in heart. Sounds like Psalm 131.1, doesn't it? I am lowly and humble in heart. Charles Spurgeon makes a fascinating observation about this verse. He says, which I got from Gentle and Lowly, great book. But uh, he points out that here in Matthew 11, it's the only place in the Gospels where Jesus tells us specifically about his heart. I am lowly and humble in heart. But is our response like, well, great, good for you, Jesus. Way to be humble, but we can't. How's that help me? Well, he tells us. Now, his humility is the way to our rest. Because he is lowly and humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls. Sounds kind of like Psalm 131, verse 2. And then he invites us, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Isn't coming to Jesus each day, taking up his yoke, laying aside our yoke that is burdened by worry and control and anxiety, learning from him, placing our hope in him now and forever, coming to him, coming to Christ. Isn't that how we place our hope in the Lord? Brothers and sisters, our yokes are too heavy. Trade it out for Christ's yoke. Learn from his humble way. Follow him to Calvary and see his humble death and hear his desperate cries. And then place your hope and what he has done. Friends, in Christ alone, our hope is found. He alone is our song, both now and forever. So I pray for us this week 
that this song, that this chorus would rise in our hearts. I pray that the Lord would give us a renewed desire and a Holy Spirit determination to place our confidence, our hope, humbly in the Lord to find that rest that only he can provide. So are you going to take this song with you today? I know school, jobs, to-do lists await us tomorrow. And this call to hope in the Lord will all too easily get drowned out by the things of this world. Uh, if only this, this song could be an earworm that gets stuck in our heads like the Hamilton musical has been stuck in my head all week thanks to my kids. But how are we going to remember this song and live it out? Praise God that this isn't just an ancient song that's been faithfully preserved by priests and scribes for 3,000 years. We have the lead singer with us. He is singing it over us. This is the song of a Savior who is with us by a spirit, and he has given us his body, the church, to help us put our hope in the Lord Jesus. Uh, for Henson Church, we cannot place our hope in Christ alone, alone. Call on others, just as Christ calls us to place our hope in the Lord. So in your struggle to calm and quiet your soul, call out to the Father in Christ's name. Call others to pray with you and for you and pray with one another. And we gather each Lord's Day, even when it rains, to sing with one another and call one another to place this hope in the Lord both now and forever. So let's remember Christ's brief song in Psalm 131. This is Christ's song. It's a song of our humble Savior. It's a song for how we find rest for our weary souls in him. So will you calm your heart and humble hope in Christ today? Will you calm your heart and humble hope in Christ today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we feel our limitations. We feel our weakness. And Lord, when all too often when we feel like we can do it, when we can walk this, this life in faith, we put our confidence in ourselves. So Lord, we thank you for in your kindness disabusing us of our ability to control, of our abilities to manage Lord, thank you for in your severe mercy for showing us our pride and our weakness. And Lord, we thank you that you have drawn near in the person of your son, that you gather us up into your everlasting arms and we can calm and quiet our souls in you uh, by your spirit. And we can look to Christ, our forever hope. So, Lord, we pray that as we go into this week, whatever it may hold, Lord, we pray that we would know the strong foundation and know that our souls are stilled in you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.